You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses, go to surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 62 of the Surf Simply podcast. This is a uh, a pre-recorded introduction to uh, an interview that myself and Rue did back in August with uh, Dr. Sean Newcomer and Jeff Nessler from California State University. They have managed to persuade the university to let them run a surf science program where they're they're really focusing in on on kind of biomechanics and uh, kinesiology and, and exercise physiology. And it's fascinating some of the stuff that they've been doing there is there is so little within the surfing world that is properly quantified and uh they are really just starting to fill in the blanks um and it's it it was it was great talking to them and i hope that it won't be the last time uh that we talk to them we will be back with uh, another pre-recorded episode in a couple of weeks another another interview and we'll be back for a full proper episode probably around the end of October. So on that note, I shall hand over to uh, to the other me uh, that, that recorded this interview, and I hope you guys enjoy it. I am very pleased to welcome onto the show doctors uh, Sean Newcomer and Jeff Nessler from California State University. Uh, they are both part of the faculty at the San Marcos campus. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Yeah, good to be here. Sean, uh, it, w- we met very briefly when we were at the wave pool last month. You were running some interesting experiments that I, I think you, you probably can't talk about at the moment. But just just to both of you guys, could you just introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm Sean Newcomer, an associate professor here at California State University, San Marcos. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been faculty here for about six years, uh, about four years ago. Uh, we started on a line of research here looking at uh, surfing and physiological and biomechanical aspects of surfing, trying to characterize that better. Um, previous to that, I, I really I was at Purdue University as a faculty member. I spent a long time in the Midwest, um, but as a faculty member looking at, at things that were not surfing related, um, specifically I was looking at atherosclerosis and disease and how exercise impacts that. Um, and then I'll let Jeff introduce himself. Um, so my name is Jeff Nessler, and I've been at California State University San Marcos for 10 years. I'm currently the chair of the kinesiology department and um, looking to transition out of that so I can spend more time doing fun things like surf research. And uh, my background is more in engineering. Uh, I spent some time studying robotics at uh, University of California, Irvine. And so that kind of informs what I'm interested in when I look at surfing, uh, more of the mechanics and forces and and muscle activation uh, and and motor control. So those are the the things I'm interested in. That's very cool. And so two questions, I suppose. Number one, what's both of your surf backgrounds? And then number two, how did you manage to persuade the university to, uh, to run a surf program? So yeah, Jeff and I both actually grew up in San Diego. I grew up in Cardiff and Jeff grew up a little bit inland in Escondido. Um, We both grew up surfing here in Southern California. And, um, you know, it was really fortuitous for both of us to be coming back to a university so close to home, which allowed us to be close to, you know, one of our loves and passions, which was surfing. Um, Both of us weren't really doing surf-related research when we 
transition back to CSU San Marcos. Um, but an interesting thing kind of happened. Uh, Jeff was here before I got here. And um, when I did finally come to CSU San Marcos and took a position here, uh, we would spend our Fridays in the water, Friday mornings in the water, just surfing and talking about science and the classes we were teaching and things like that. And one of our frustrations that we were having was the fact that from the universities that we had come from previously, the real focus of the university was research, and it was very research-driven, versus at, at California State Universities, the focus is not so much research, it's more teaching and getting uh, students involved in research. So we were really challenged in how we were going to get students engaged in research, um, and we were having some troubles with that, given the fact we had high teaching loads and the students weren't really that engaged in what we were studying at the time. So over a surf session one morning, Jeff actually mentioned, he said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could do surfing as research? And I actually kind of smiled a little bit and I said, you know, my master's thesis was in surfing research. I had walked away from it after my master's, but I, I said, we could, we could do that. We could probably do that. So what we did is we actually took that idea and basically infused it into our classes. So Jeff was teaching biomechanics to undergraduates at the time. I was teaching undergraduates exercise physiology. And what we started doing is infusing research projects into that curriculum and having the students get engaged in the projects. And uh, because there was so much enthusiasm of the students and so much enthusiasm of our community, um, San Diego community, um, our university was, became very supportive of what we were doing and decided that they would really support uh, the research that we were doing at that time. In a moment, I'd really love to, to ask you a little bit more about the specifics of some of that research. Uh, but looking over the titles of some of your papers, the first thing that occurred to me is, is how do you generate the hypotheses that you're then researching? Um, you know, do people come to you or are, are you generating them or are they coming from, from companies it's actually a little bit of all of that. So we have ideas that we think are interesting. And right now, because it's so wide open, a lot of what we do is just the low-hanging fruit. There are some pretty obvious questions that uh, no one's really addressed. And so we, in the absence of having a question from one of our um, partners, we'll usually work on something that, that we're interested in or that, uh, that students bring to us. And then we also have questions. Um, we, we've been doing some work with Hurley, for example. We have questions that um, Hurley wants answered, and that'll drive some of those research projects as well. So I know that you're not allowed to talk about some of the research that you're currently doing with uh, Hurley because it's about product development. But um, perhaps we could sort of, I guess, take it a little bit chronologically. And could you tell us about the first low-hanging fruit that you tried to grab and, and, uh, and what study that was and, and, and what you learned? Yeah, I think the first study that we, we really uh, engaged in was, was trying to characterize what recreational surfers were doing in the water. So as a cardiovascular physiologist, looking at the, the benefits of exercise on the heart and the, the vascular system, I was really interested in understanding if recreational surfers that were entering the water um, were getting the benefits that we typically would think that people that are doing running and other cardiovascular type of exercise are getting biking specifically also. Um, so I was really quite interested in understanding those benefits or potential benefits that surfing was giving these, uh, these surfing or providing surfers. So we really uh, just did a nice job, I think, in characterizing 
in a really large data set of recreational surfers what activities they were doing in the water, were they, how much time they were spending sitting, how much time they were spending paddling, how much time they were spending wave riding, and, and other miscellaneous types of activities. And then also at the same time, looking at what their heart rate responses were during those times to see if those heart rate responses were indicative of heart rates that would be beneficial to the cardiovascular system. In addition, we would bring a lot of those recreational surfers into the laboratory and we would look at their aerobic fitness in a laboratory type of setting and say, okay, this is what their aerobic fitness is. This is how much they're surfing. And we did this uh, across the age spectrum. So we, we did it for uh, youth that were participating in surfing at local high schools in, for PE classes. And then we also did it for people all the way from the age of 18 that were out of high school up to their 70s and looked at basically the benefits they were, that surfing was providing them. And, and, and what did you find? And I guess more specifically, for surfers like me, who uh, for a lot of my surf sessions, it's about trying to you know, have a good workout and, and stay in shape. Um, so what did you find in terms of the, you know, how, how much uh, cardiovascular workout surfers are getting uh, and what kind of activities they're doing and, and therefore kind of what activities can we make sure that we're doing or, or how can we change the way we're surfing to get a really good workout in the water? Yeah, so that's a great question. So... Just to provide some background, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, basically recommends that adults get 30 minutes of, ex of moderate intensity exercise on most days of the week, five to seven days a week. And so what we found in our, our population of recreational surfers, and once again, this is a very large population that we tested, we found that the average surfer was spending about an hour per given surf session surfing. So that, was, that meant that 30 minutes, at least if they were getting in the water. And we found that their heart rates actually fell within that moderate intensity, which would provide them the cardiovascular benefits. So from that study, we basically were able to deduce that surfing was providing similar cardiovascular benefits that the CDC was recommending for cardiovascular health. And just on a, on a technical question, how, how were you measuring the, the, the amount of work being done? Were you doing that in the ocean or, or was that being done in, a, in the sort of more controlled environment of the pool? Yeah, so that, that initial study, um, there was a, a portion of it, a large portion of it was done as observational and heart rate monitors out in the field and ocean. And then there was the other component that was done in the laboratory where we actually were able to measure their work outputs during paddling. And we did that actually not in the flume at the time because we, hadn't, we actually hadn't purchased the flume at that time. We did it on a simulated uh, paddle odometer, which simulated paddling in general. So that's how we did those studies. So another of your studies that really leapt out at me as being fascinating was uh, surfboard volume to energy expenditure. So we, we did a, an episode special a few shows back on surfboard volumes, and I think it's our most downloaded ever episode. It's, it's something that the majority of the surfing population seems to be really interested in. So could you just talk a little bit about that uh, study and, and your findings? Uh, so we, we did the, the first study, I think what you're describing, uh, looking at energy expenditure across five different volumes of surfboard. All five boards had very similar dimensions, so the same um, length and width, but they varied in volume by, what was it? Two, about, two, two liters. about two liters per board. So the, the boards were custom shaped to be as uh, identical as possible with the only difference being they increased by two liters. 
and we looked at energy expenditure and heart rate while paddling in our swim flume. We also looked at surfboard motion in the water, so how much um, side-to-side roll, what the average pitch angle was, and uh, yaw acceleration, which is kind of like um, side-to-side motion of the nose of the board. And uh, we, so we correlated that with um, volume and uh, found some really interesting things. A lot of what you would expect. So obviously the, the larger the board, the less energy it takes to paddle that, but no one had actually shown that or, or quantified that in a, in a scientific setting, surprisingly. And that, it's important to also note that that relationship, at least across the 10 liters of board volumes that we were l- using, was a very linear relationship. Um, which is, was really quite interesting. Now, obviously, it becomes less linear. We would hypothesize as we increase volumes to really high levels, there's going to be a, a kind of a nadir point where increasing volume is not going to have an increase or a decrease in energy expenditure. So that was the first study we did with board volume. And then there's a second one Jeff will explain also. Uh, yeah, so we also um, were contacted by Firewire surfboards, and they wanted to do some some work with us as well. And so they custom designed uh, three boards. Well, actually, one was just off the shelf. The other two uh, were the exact same volume and uh, gross shape. So again, um, width and length, but they changed the center of volume. So they distributed more volume toward the nose for one, and more volume toward the tail for the other. And we wanted to see if that had an effect on energy use. And so what we found was we, we did a very similar study with this setup and found that the boards actually behaved very similarly. So there was no change in energy expenditure and the boards moved the same amount. So the same amount of roll, the same amount of, of pitch and yaw motion. But um, we allowed the surfers to intuitively set up on the board wherever they wanted. So we didn't tell them which board they were paddling. um, And and we allowed them to set up on the board however they felt comfortable. And so what we found was that they would adjust where they positioned themselves on the board by about an inch uh, across these three boards. So the difference was uh, roughly an inch uh, forward or backward. And in doing so, they sort of uh, allowed the board to perform exactly the same, depending on you know, which, which one they had. So the, the motion of the board, the energy expenditure, and the drag force, I didn't mention we were measuring drag force as well, was identical. I guess because all boards were basically the same volume and with the the participants moving forwards and backwards on the board, actually all the boards, uh, as far as a, a, a sort of support for the body in the water, they were actually working identically. Yeah, I think, I think the take-home message about this is, you know, board volume or volume is talked about quite a bit uh, throughout the surf world, obviously. It's obviously a very hot topic. And the take-home message you can get from this is that hey, you can distribute the board volume any way you want it, and it's not going to impact at least paddling. So it'll, it'll have the same amount of paddling as long as the volume is the same, or the paddling will be basically equally as efficient, regardless of how that, that uh, volume is distributed. But we don't really know 
the, the real gold standard is, well, how does the board perform on the wave? And we don't have data for that. We're just talking about paddling. So the good news is you can distribute the, the volume any way you want in that board, and it's not going to impact the paddling. That's very interesting because, you know, you always hear over and over again people saying, oh, the volume under the chest to help with paddling. So uh, that's very interesting. And these were all when you were uh, measuring paddling across flat water because obviously one of the things that's, I assume, incredibly difficult is trying to measure how the board is moving once it's on the angle created by the face of a wave. Yeah, it, it's a, one of the questions that we have that so far we just haven't been able to simulate or we haven't figured out a way to simulate yet. If money was no object and uh, engineering was no object, what kind of setup do you imagine you might need in a, in a Star Trek universe in order to start measuring how the board's moving on a wave? Well, I, I, think, I think we're actually pretty close to it, to tell you the truth. But I'll let Jeff, since he's the engineer, talk a little bit more about it. But I, I think we're closer than we have been. And I think, we're gonna, I think in the next year to two, we could probably be getting there. I, I think it would be a combination of modeling. So we would do some, some simulation and modeling um, with actually testing uh, perhaps on a standing wave at first and then possibly moving into something like the wave pool where we can get uh, a very repeatable wave. And so I, th I think it would be kind of a combination of those three approaches. Are, are there sort of hypotheses that you have on the table that you, you want to question using that technique? Uh, yeah, we, we do have some, some general thoughts, but that's less of a low-hanging fruit. And so right now we're uh, actually moving into some other questions. And so that would be great. Uh, my background isn't so much in modeling and simulation of fluid dynamics. And so that's getting a little bit out of my, my expertise. Um, but we do know some people that we're, we're trying to recruit and get, get into our team so we can start looking at those types of questions. I, I think also one of the problems that really uh, presents itself when we start talking about this area is, is the fact that every surfer is different, right? And even if the wave is the same how they're utilizing that board could be different. And therefore, that variable, that the difference in the surfer and how they're, they're interacting with that board makes it really hard to, to basically come up with, is this board better than that board for this given wave, right? Um, so that's, that's one of the challenges we have with trying to control for all the variables. And when you have different humans using uh, a given board, they may interact with that board very differently. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. It's actually one of the questions that we've always uh, wondered about, we've spoken about on several occasions, is the idea of, of trying to put a, a pressure-sensitive pad into the deck of the board to see how... Because obviously there's lots of different techniques, you know, biomechanically, but, but how much variation is there on the pressure being applied to the toes and the heels of the front and the back foot as as people are riding a wave and but the, the key would be they're riding the exact same wave which the wave pool actually provides you that opportunity in the future yeah so that's really good yeah and i think there are there are people that are working on that and there actually is probably somebody that actually has that that actually uh, a board that's instrumented like that now oh really that, yeah that we, we've heard some rumors that there actually is somebody has instrumented a board like that um so that's that's a good thing our long-term goal would be have the board instrumented um, in both the deck and then also the movement of the board, how the board's moving on the face wave, but then also have the subject instrument. And you kind of saw some of this at the, at the surf ranch, 
having the subject interested in both in the kinematics, so basically watching what's going on at the joint angles while they're surfing, but also be looking at muscle activity at the same time. So if we could get all of that at once, that would be kind of the, the gold standard. Yeah. Oh, that's very exciting. So when we saw you at the surf ranch, uh, you had these little clever devices that you were sticking all over the uh, surfers who were surfing. Yeah. I don't know if you, you, you mentioned just now that, you know, there's some other questions that you're now steering towards that you're trying to answer. W- would you like to talk about what some of those uh, questions are? And, 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 and I don't know if, how much you're allowed to talk about what you were doing at the surf ranch as well. It looked very cool. Yeah, I think we could talk about what we did at the surf ranch for the most part. Yeah, um, so a major component of what we're trying to do is to just record kinematics. And kinematics refers to joint motion, uh, accelerations, velocities of different segments of the body. Basically how, how the body's moving, both while someone's riding a wave. And we've been working at this question a lot just while someone's paddling, And we can get some really gross level data about how someone's paddling in water. And from video analysis, we can get uh, a little bit of that picture from someone riding a wave. But it's not uh, the level of detail that we would need for uh, uh, the the analysis that we want to do. And so we had some what are called IMUs. And so those, that stands for an inertial measurement unit. And these are devices that have accelerometers and gyroscopes integrated into them. And you, you put one of these wireless sensors on each segment of the athlete and they'll record data. And some of them will actually transmit data in real time. That doesn't really work well in the water. We need sensors that record and log data. And when you, when you pull this data out, you can calculate the orientation of each sensor. And with that information, you can calculate joint angles. And so if you subtract the orientation between two neighboring segments, that gives you the joint angle. And so that's what we were trying to do in the wave pool. Uh, we aren't quite to the place yet where we have one of these systems that gives us consistently good data. And when we were doing this in the wave pool, we actually lost one of our sensors that fell off of the, the surfer. Um, and they're not cheap. So uh, that was kind yeah, of- I remember. But um, that's kind of the direction we're moving. I, it's going to be really difficult to do this type of analysis with cameras, I think, because the capture volume or the, the space where the surfer is moving is just too large right now. And so I think the the IMU approach is probably the more uh, practical approach right now. So so am I right in thinking that, um, you know, by tracking the way that a surfer is moving across the wave, at this stage, given where the science is at, what we're really trying to do, what you guys are really trying to do is, is gather a lot of baseline data. And once we know, um, you know, how top level surfers are positioning their body on any given maneuver Um, and we've got enough baseline data that we can sort of rule out the things that are just the stylistic tweaks between the way Mick Fanning and Kelly and Geordie do it so that we can say this is a mean average this is how you should perform this turn these are the things you need to do then we can start tracking other people who are not performing the turn so well and showing them exactly what those differences are I mean as a coach that's the way that that 
um, science would immediately leap out as having utility to me. Is that sort of what you guys had in mind or was it for other things? Yeah, so that, that's exactly where we're, where we're thinking and now this data is going to be utilized. Um, it's, it's, you know, quite interesting. Surfing has very little scientific background to it from a, a biomechanical or physiological aspects. But yet we have a lot of surf coaches and trainers and things saying all these all these different things to surfers. And we really don't know if these have any any uh, substance whatsoever because we don't even have the baseline data to support or, or reject what they're saying. Um, so that's what we're trying to do is provide that baseline data for coaches, for trainers to basically allow their surfers or to create programs that are going to allow surfers to uh, advance at an accelerated rate in performance. Uh, that, there's, Harry was just uh, cheering off mic when he said that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic the work that you guys are doing. And, you know, we, we talk both on air and also off mic uh, so much about how with surf coaching, we often, as coaches, uh, we often make the mistake of looking at a surfer who's really great, who does a particular thing, and then assuming that they're great because they do the thing um, without really, um, you know, using science to determine what's, what's correlation and what... Uh, causation so i i think the work that you guys are doing is is fantastic i'd, I'd like to ask you about another one of your uh, study titles that leapt out at me um which is the uh physiological profile of surfers so you know there's certain stereotypes that back in the day surfers used to be these sort of small jockey like characters and then dane and geordie kind of rock up on the scene and suddenly it's like well nowadays there are these they're these kind of big athletic kind of uh, build characters is that borne out by your research and if not kind of what did you find and and also you know how did you look at it well i think i mean i, I think there's obviously some variability and somebody who's large like Jordy can find ways to perform well. And then people that are extremely small on the other end of the spectrum can find ways uh, to also utilize their God-given talents to, to perform well in surfing. So I, I don't think there's one size fits all for surfers, um, but there is definitely some aspects um, that surfers need, some qualities that surfers need to be able to perform very highly. The first thing is they need to be very, very um, strong in paddling. I mean, that's we always kind of laugh this because paddling doesn't get a lot of um, a lot of credit or a lot of interest by surfers because it, it's kind of like you know it's not as as fun and glamorous as actually watching somebody surf a wave, right? But actually, if you can't paddle, you're not going to be catching waves. So it's really the 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 foundation of surfing, in my opinion, you have to be able to paddle and you have to be able to paddle both from an endurance perspective, meaning that you have to be able to paddle for, for great distances for longer periods of time. But you also, on the other end of the spectrum, have to be quite strong and be able to do a sprint paddle and generate a lot of force with those muscles. So it's kind of developing when we talk about the upper body. The, the surfing athlete is quite like a hybrid type of athlete. They have to have endurance components of the skeletal muscle and metabolism, but they also have to have an anaerobic component or a component that doesn't utilize oxygen to generate energy. So those are really two key factors that, that surfers need physiologically to perform well just from that aspect. I think from the, the wave riding aspect, we're probably not the best to to talk about that because we really haven't done a lot of work on, on that end of the spectrum. I, I would probably give a shout out to our colleagues, uh, Jeremy Shepard and, and, and HPC has done a lot more on the performance side of, 
of surfing and looking at basically what characteristics are, are critical for, for wave riding and performing well on the wave. That's interesting. And so uh, for listeners, Jeremy Shepard is, uh, I, I think he's the guy in charge of research at the High Performance Center in Australia. Is that right? He, he actually has left that position a couple of years ago. And he actually is a head of training for, I think, the Canadian snowboard team right now. Oh, really? Yeah. A man of many talents. Yes. <laughs> so, so have you guys, is there a bit of back and forward between the stuff that you guys are working on and, and the stuff that the High Performance Center are working on? Because it would seem there's a fair amount of overlap. That's an interesting question. Uh, we, don't, we don't interact with them much. Um, we did interact with them a little bit when Jeremy was there, but after Jeremy left, we stopped interacting with them. It, what I think what has happened, and this is all just hearsay, so they can call you up and tell you, tell you I'm completely wrong on this. But my understanding is that uh, once this once surfing became an Olympic sport, and the government, the Australian government, was providing money to the HPC, my understanding was that uh, their ability to work with international individuals and international athletes uh, decreased significantly. Oh, uh, because you're, you're it's the a contest enemy. now. <laughs> now, yeah, it's now a competition. So, but I could be wrong. That's once again just hearsay. So we've we've communicated with them um, since Jeremy has left a, a, a few times, um, but really haven't haven't done much um, from the aspect of collaborating with them. And also, our work is is very different than theirs. Ours is more the characterizing and the baseline, and also looking at how products perform and how products can enhance performance. Whereas they're more interested in the training aspects. How do you train a surfer through either being in the weight room, doing you know, land-based training, or in the water? How do we train these uh, surfers to get better and perform better? You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. You've mentioned that you've worked, uh, you know, you've done some work with Firewire and, and with Hurley and, and with other people within the industry. If, like Rue mentioned earlier, you know it's so exciting for us to see proper scientific research being done. Even you know, even just at this stage of of building baseline data that 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 you know we can start to use to test hypotheses. What's what's the reaction been within the industry? Have have you had feedback from from other companies and 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 from you know the the average surfer in the street that you guys are are, are grabbing to profile for for some of the studies? How, how's the reaction been? Yeah, um, I guess I'll address that. Um, it's interesting. We've had we we do not compensate our subjects. We do not um, provide them anything to participate in the studies. And we've had uh, pretty much overwhelming support from the surf community in Southern California and participating in studies. So we have probably over a thousand subjects tested in all of our studies over the last four years. And it's very rare. A lot of our studies are field-based studies. So our, our students will be out in the field. They'll just see somebody at the beach and say, would you like to participate in this field-based study? And they'll say, yes, it's very rare for us to have somebody say no. Um, which has been fantastic on 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 that aspect of of research because it's usually really hard to get subjects. We don't have problems getting subjects at all, which is a, a great thing. Um, from um, the industry standpoint, uh, you know, I, I have to give a shout out to Hurley on this one because Hurley has really stepped up quite a bit and has been quite interested in in basically supporting us to provide scientific insight for product development which is fantastic and they 
the other thing that's been really great about Hurley is they're always open to listen. And what we found with a lot of surf industry, no, I shouldn't say a lot, but we have had interactions with different people in surf industry saying to us, well, I've surfed 40 years, so I know how this works. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds and that's like not really yet. the interactions we like to have. Um, those are really quite brief interactions. And that happens more than you can believe. Um, and I don't know if there is some fear from surf industry about us disproving some of the things that they've held true. Um, from anecdotal evidence for years and years and what they've marketed as working. But there has been some resistance from certain companies within surf industry. And I, I won't actually name those industries or those companies specifically. That's, that's so interesting. I mean, it's, you almost see that in every aspect of scientific research where it impacts upon everyday life. Whereas there's this battle between people going, oh, you know, it, it, it works for me or this was my anecdotal personal experience and not really understanding the value of, of properly, you know, double-blinded controlled scientific studies and, and how much more valuable it is. It, it's almost like as human beings, we're hardwired to just prioritize our own personal experiences, the best possible source of data until you really understand how flawed that can be. Yeah, agree, agreed. I mean, I, we see it, I mean, you're right. You see it in, in our daily lives all the time, not just in surfing. It, it, it runs across the gamut. I, I do have to also say that when we first started working with Hurley, it was a very different relationship. They would provide us product that they had, they had created and they would say, test it, does it work? And we, at the beginning, that was great and we were having fun because it was great to work with Hurley. They're a fantastic company and, and, and they're great collaborators. But we were, were getting product that we could see right off the bat wasn't gonna work. Before we even did the studies, we, we just knew from a, from a physiological or biomechanical standpoint, it, it was, there was a flaw in their thinking. Yeah. And so we would test it. And within weeks, we knew it wasn't working, but we were locked into six months contracts of testing these things. <laughs> so it was like, OK, after the first week, we know it's not working, but we're going to continue testing it. What has changed with our relationship with them has been really fantastic. And, you know, uh, both Ryan Hurley and Bruce Mora at Hurley have been fantastic in this aspect is they've allowed us to become more on the front end. So we basically tell them these are the types of studies that we should be doing and this is how this information is going to inform your product. And I think that has really changed the paradigm and, and it's made it exciting for both us and for them because we're constantly giving them, hopefully giving them data that, that they can integrate into design and make the product better. And that, that, that's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, that, that's kind of the relationship that you would really like to see between, between any industry and any scientific institution that's doing research. From my end, that just makes me feel like, you know, in the next couple of years, Hurley are probably going to jump ahead a lot in terms of the equipment they're providing for athletes. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Hurley does have uh, an advantage because they have Nike as kind of uh, their role model or, or who they can basically base how they go about this, you know, Nike also has a large research component to their products. And so they really have used Nike as kind of the outline for how they should be using research in design. So it's, it's been like, honestly, a, a tremendous, and I wouldn't even say um, relationships, it's more of a collaboration. It's always discussions and projects and, and it's, it's been really a really nice collaboration between the two of us. That's very cool. So, I mean, you've spoken very positively in the last couple of minutes about about the response from the, from the general public. So, has the the university in general are they supportive of your work? Uh, absolutely. Uh, this is really a marketing home run for them. 
Uh, just especially given our location and our proximity to a lot of action sports companies. Um, we're in, you know, close to San Diego and uh, Orange County. So we're kind of right in the middle of the two. And so between those two areas, uh, we have a lot of surf companies, a lot of action sports companies, and um, they, they see the value in us developing those relationships, not only for recruiting students, but also providing internships for students. And the action sports industry in general is a, a large sector of the economic region where we are. And so it makes sense for us to try to prepare graduates for that specific um, type of employment. And so, yeah, they, they've been very supportive in uh, providing funding for us, providing space, um, helping us with our contracts. Uh, so, so we've really had no negative interaction at all. Oh, that's, that, that, that's fantastic to hear. To, to add to that, too, I think Jeff and I, um, coming from more basic science backgrounds, um, surf science is more applied type of, of science. And we were, we were really, when we started down this path, we were really nervous about how our colleagues that we trained with and who we'd worked with at these bigger universities would start uh, viewing what we were doing. <laughs> and I can remember, you know, talking to some colleagues at the, at the very beginning when it started, and they asked me, well, you know, how, how's it going? What kind of research are you doing and everything? And I, I kind of, you know, under my breath, said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some surf research. <laughs> and I can remember just thinking, oh, these guys are going to blast me. Like, you're not a real scientist anymore. And really, the support of our colleagues across other disciplines is also, at other universities, has also been very supportive. They think it's great that we're able to combine both our passion and love of this hobby of surfing with our passion and love of, of teaching and research. So we've really got a, a really nice situation here. You know, and I, I, it's funny that you say that because, of course, if someone was researching uh you know, uh, how to optimize training for the 100 meters at the next Olympics, that would all be taken very seriously. Uh, and it makes you realize how we're still as surfers and as, as surf researchers kind of battling against that tired surf stereotype. But I think it's probably, uh, it's going to the work that you're doing is having the effect of, of creating more understanding of, of the sport and therefore legitimizing it and kind of casting off that that stereotype, that kind of tired surface stereotype. So, you know, good on you guys for, for changing the way that surfing will, will be viewed by future generations, I'm sure. Um, can I just pivot back quickly? Because we were talking about um, paddling earlier on in, in the conversation. Yeah. And there was, there was a, I had a couple more questions about it. The, um, there was, there, I'll just ask you kind of generally and, and, and let you talk, but there was two studies that caught my eye that I thought were really interesting and they were both about paddling. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I always tell people when they're in a wetsuit to, to have, have a slightly bigger board, a couple more liters when they're paddling in a, perhaps a five mil wetsuit, both because there's a lot of water in the arm of the wetsuit as they lift that arm out of the water and forwards and also because the neoprene acts to actually um, make it more difficult to to move your arm forward and to move your body and you know that's again it's it's not been scientifically researched that's kind of anecdotal and from personal experience so I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about your uh, research with with paddling and wetsuits. When we did the the study the initial study on the ergometer with these wetsuit tops we we were under the same impression as you that if you added neoprene, which would cause increases in resistance, you would have a greater energy expenditure um, versus paddling with no wetsuit on. Um, 
we actually did not see that on the swim bench ergometer. So we didn't see that. And it's, it's important to understand that those wetsuits were only wetsuit tops, so jackets, and that they weren't saturated with water. So that's an important component to think about when you think about the wetsuit and, and it's pro providing an increased resistance and therefore providing increased uh, energy expenditure. Once again, we didn't see that. Now we have transitioned this work into uh, the research setting of the flume um, in water. Um, we haven't published this data, but I think it's, it's safe to talk about. And the, the interesting thing is we had, uh, we had people paddle the same person paddle in a randomized order in either no wetsuit, so just skin, a rash guard, a 0.5 top, a one millimeter top, and a two millimeter top. So we were basically looking at a dose response um, to neoprene thickness. And we had hypothesized that obviously the two millimeter we would see when we saturated with water and in the flume and all these different things, that we would see an increase in energy expenditure um, that was not what we saw. And we have realized that the reason for this is we had these individuals paddling in 70 degree water and 70 degree Fahrenheit water, which is relatively warm. It's not, it's not Costa Rica, but it's, it's relatively warm. Um, what we found is that although there was probably more energy expended when you basically put a thicker wetsuit on in the paddling side of the of the equation on the thermoregulation side of the equation you basically when you had that thicker wetsuit on you were using less energy so a person that didn't have a wetsuit on they were using a lot of energy to stay warm but less energy to paddle so overall the energy was the same in no wetsuit versus the the two millimeter wetsuit Oh, that's, it. That, that's very interesting. It sounds like an area where it would be fascinating to kind of study it more with three and five mil wetsuits in, in you know, really cold water and in tropical water. So it sounds like you guys have, there's a lot of research to be done for any other um, budding researchers who are kind of coming up behind you guys. Yeah, there's definitely a lot. I mean, we, we have a couple papers coming out on thermoregulation and wetsuits and, and how it can impact performance. So yeah, there's definitely a, a, a lot of important uh, contributions on that side. It's important to note from that study, too, it just looks like there, there seems to be a point in which, you know, thermoregulation outweighs paddling and vice versa. Um, I, I think one thing I, I'd like to add is simply how difficult it's been to really get detailed data about how someone moves when they paddle. And so... We really don't even know what, or we don't have a good idea of what the proper paddling technique is. So I, I, I know we've interviewed Rob Case on the show as well, and he's, he's mentioned working with you guys. So have, have you guys been playing around with that squaring technique away? Yeah, yeah. So we've tried a few different approaches. Um, obviously, paddling the ergometer in the laboratory is not the same. And so we can get really good data in the laboratory, but it just isn't the same. Um, and so everything we've tried in the water, uh, it works somewhat, but uh, it doesn't, so far we haven't really gotten the, the type of data that we need in order to characterize the, the finer details of the paddling stroke. And so one of the goals would be obviously 
to, to kind of augment what Rob Case does in helping people learn uh, techniques that are more efficient and can help them develop more power, but also to help them avoid injury. And so we need to be able to discern very subtle differences in how someone's paddling and how that might contribute to injury or, or might be slowing them down. And we're just not there yet. So that's one of the more frustrating uh, yeah. pieces here, trying to, to, to get the technology up to the point that we can track motion in water at yeah. that level. And I think, you know, I think Rob has been fantastic because, you know, he's, he's one of those guys in the surf industry that actually has looked at scientific data to try to inform his coaching. Um, but he'll be the first to tell you, too, that he still doesn't know for sure. You know, he has anecdotal evidence um, providing that this is this is having impacts on the people that he's he's working with and and the data that he's derived from the swimming techniques and and swimming papers has has helped inform him but he's he's just as interested in getting that data from us so he can help to can help to inform him in his coaching on what things are going right and what things are going wrong with the techniques that people are are, are having during paddling so I think you know we're always we're always looking to work with anybody open to uh, applying scientific inquiry to anything they're doing. We, we even say this to the there's, – there's so many people up in North County, San Diego that are now specifically personal trainers that just work with surfers. And we often tell the, the people that they're working with, the, 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 the subjects, to say, oh, yeah, I have a personal trainer. He, he coaches me and, and he's a surf coach and he's my personal trainer. He helps me and everything. I said – well, how, how do you know that what he's doing is right? Because we don't even know what he's doing is right yet. Right. <laughs> so, um, I, I, you know, there's some personal trainers that don't want, don't want to hear from us because they're afraid of, of what we're going to say. Like, hey, you just put your, your athlete through a 20-week program and they've had no increases in, in any of the performance aspects that we test. And then there's other personal trainers that are like, yeah, I, I want to know. I want to know if this is helping because if it's not helping, I want to do things differently. So uh, we're always looking for people that are on that side of the spectrum that just want to have that information. We're not here to say people are right or wrong or to promote other people. We just want to tell the truth. That's so true. I, I think you see it in, we certainly see it in surf coaching. I think it's probably true in all industries. There are the, there are the people who really want to just put it out there that they're the authority and that what they say is right. And then there's the people who carry a really genuine curiosity um, and are very happy to be proved wrong if it means that they've learned something new. I, I've got one more question for you guys. We've played around at Surf Simply. We've, we've on a, a far more amateur level than you guys, played around with trying to do some some little tests um, using heart rate monitors in the ocean, um, trying to fit uh, flex meters to, to surfboard fins and things like that. And the biggest thing that we've found is that the ocean is just an incredibly brutal environment to try and test anything with electronic technology. How have you guys been, you mentioned earlier that you managed to lose one of the sensors while you were at the, the wave pool. What have been the biggest challenges for you guys uh, working in this environment? Yeah, the water, it's, you know, it's, it's the water air interaction about surfing. It's one of those few sports that people are both submerged in the air and so you have to take both those into account. Um, we do a really good job. I think Jeff will attest in the flume. Um, we have things dialed in really well, I would say. And we're able to make a lot of measures that people just can't even make uh, across, across both the nation and, and across different continents. Um, so we've been really good because, 
in the Flume, we're able to control the variables, right? <laughs> yeah. It's very easy. So the, the things that you're describing in, in the field are the similar types of things that, that we struggled with initially and still struggle with. We think we have it figured out, and then we're at the surf ranch, and we lose, how much was that sensor? Oh, it's probably four or $500. Yeah, we lose a four or $500 sensor in, in one wave. And just, you know, you just, and you look at the lifeguards and you just kind of walk away and say, okay, well, that's $400, $500. Like on the bottom of the pool, we can't do anything about it. Um, it when our last study abroad down in uh, Costa Rica, we were doing thermal temperatures and we had done really, we've done published papers doing skin temperatures um, in all different environments. But for some reason, Costa Rica, on one day, we lost $500 worth of sensors. And I just had, after that first day, I'm like, we got to put a cut on. We're not making these, we, we're not going to be doing these studies, like the thermal side of it, because we can't afford to keep losing that type of, you know, that type of equipment to the ocean. Um, so it, it's a struggle. Um, there's techniques we use. We use a different bandaging type of material that's waterproof, that's helpful. Um, there's tacky grip type of stuff that you can put on the skin to keep that bandage material on. But I think the thing we ran into when we were in Costa Rica this this year's the first year we were down there the waves weren't that big and uh the the sensors were staying on and we just happened to come down when the waves and and guiones were were relatively big in fact almost unsurfable some days and uh they were literally just ripping these sensors right off of people when they would fall or duck dive so it's (laughs) it's problematic So you guys, you guys may be finding some sensors up on the beach eventually down at the end. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll keep our eyes open, see if we can find them. Um, but we, we appreciate that, you know, you guys are trying to, trying to make scientific inquiries on your own. I mean, that's what we love to hear is people, people on their own. You don't have to be a PhD to do these types of things. There's lots of questions that are like just there, low-hanging fruit that people can, can do on their own. We were, we were just talking about today, we have a database of over 1,000 people. And we're going to tap into it and look at this. Does anybody in the surf industry or anybody in surfing know what percentage of surfers are goofy foot versus regular foot? Yeah, that's a good <laughs> yeah. question. I have no idea. No, no I, don't, I don't know anybody. We're, we're writing a paper on male versus female um, uh, thermoregulation aspects in surfing. We're, we're struggling to find any kind of statistics on what percentage of surfers are made up by females. I mean, it's, it's, these are very low-hanging fruit types of things that are important for surfers and surf industry. As, a surf, as, as industry is moving forward and people are, are involved in making new products for both males and females or different types of boards, those types of questions are kind of imperative and we don't even have a, a clue. And it's so, you know, surfing is a very exciting place to be doing research precisely because there's been so little research done before. It's almost like the Wild West at the moment in terms of the, the claims that are, that are being thrown out by people and the, and the questions that are, that are going unanswered. So uh, let me ask you this then. You, you, you guys mentioned Costa Rica. We're obviously based down here. I think I'm right in saying that you guys have uh, actually done a little bit of study abroad stuff down here in the past. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, just this summer, we were down there um, in May, the end of May and early June, um, doing a study on thermoregulation and hydration status of surfers in what we call a tropical environment because uh, Costa Rica is much more tropical than Southern California. Um, so that was, that was this year. And then two years ago, we were also down there and we were looking at um, a thermore- doing a thermoregulation study down there, also looking at the impacts that rash guards have on thermoregulation 
um, in a hot, humid environment where the water temperature is also high. So yeah, it's been fantastic it's going down there. The students absolutely love it. It's great to just put students on the beach and have them start recruiting um, both uh, natives to Costa Rica and um, people that are traveling from abroad to Costa Rica. Now that's that. That's awesome. So that is that going to be a continuing part of your program? I'm 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 thinking. I'm sure there's a few listeners that might be uh, planning their 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 future university courses. Yeah, that's definitely. Uh, all, in fact, I'm putting in the application as of as of next week for next year. So yeah, it it this year went really really well. We had actually 15 students that came down with us, um, and the feedback from them was amazing. They, they had an excellent time, both just being in Costa Rica, but having that research experience where they could be on the beach, collecting data, interacting with all different types of people was really a positive experience for them. In fact, they collected data in two weeks in over 100 subjects, which is phenomenal. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, if there's anyone that's interested in being involved in, in this area or, or, or just in terms of following uh, your guys' work, uh, is there anywhere online they can go or is there any advice that you have for them? They can always contact us. Uh, we have our surf research uh, website through the CSUSM website. So they can go to CSUSM and then look up surf research and you can actually come to our website and look at what we're doing. And they can also contact us through the through email or Instagram. We're both really uh, <laughs> old dinosaurs, and we don't have much of a social media presence. And and only recently have we uh, got an Instagram account. And uh, I don't know, are we? You can all, you can also just email us. Our emails are um, snewcomer at csusm.edu. Yeah, and uh, Jay Nessler, so J-N-E-S-S-L-E-R at csusm.edu. Oh, that's awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes for the episode for listeners as well. Sweet. Cool. Yeah, and, and, and let your listeners know too that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the questions that we come up with are just from conversations with the average surfer who has a question that they've been thinking about for years. So if they want to reach out to us and say, hey, do you know anything about this or have you thought about doing this type of study? Have them reach out. We always are interested in hearing what people have to say and what they're interested in. So, guys, thank you so much for uh, for, for taking time out of the day to, to talk to us. That's uh, been a, a fascinating conversation, and uh, I hope not the last one that we have. Yeah, cool. Uh, we look forward to doing uh, more stuff with you guys, hopefully, in the future. If you're ever up in Southern California, either yourself or your listeners, um, co- reach out to us and come out to CSU San Marcos, and maybe we'll give you a tour of the Surf Research Laboratory. No, we'd, oh, we'd love awesome. to do that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been fun. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com. Surf Simply.